Public humiliation was a major part of both corporal and capital punishment during the Middle Ages. In small communities, those being admonished would be well known to everyone else, and having the accused person put on view, usually in the centre of a town or village, was all part of the punishment. Audience involvement was a key part to the success of the judgement because it only increased the victim's shame. In today's episode of our Medieval Punishment series, we're going to be looking at stocks, pillories and whipping posts. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Public Penance In the Middle Ages, penance, forgiveness and reconciliation were important parts of medieval life. Even the King of England himself was not above performing public penance during the Middle Ages. Thomas A. Becket was murdered in 1170 by four of the King's knights, who had misinterpreted his words as wishing Becket dead. King Henry II was inconsolable after the event, and swore that he would do penance at the grave of his murdered Archbishop. As he rode into Canterbury, on catching sight of the cathedral, he dismounted his horse and walked the rest of the way to Becket's shrine, barefoot. He spent the whole day fasting and praying, and stayed awake all night to watch the relics of St Thomas, before undressing and allowing the monks to whip his bare back. In what has been described as one of the most dramatic moments of the Middle Ages, the walk to Canossa was the ceremonial deference of Henry IV, the Holy Roman Emperor to Pope Gregory VII. The Emperor travelled to Canossa in Italy, where the Pope was staying in the winter of 1077. Henry and the Pope had been caught up in a power struggle over church and state power, and the Pope had Henry excommunicated. So Henry travelled from Germany across the Alps to northern Italy to seek forgiveness from the Pope and the withdrawal of his punishment. When Henry reached Canossa Castle, he was barred from entering by the Pope, even though he wore a hair shirt and was barefoot. He fasted there for three days in the cold snow as he waited for the Pope to open the gates. Finally, on the third day, the gates were opened and Henry was allowed in. He knelt before Pope Gregory and begged forgiveness. He was pardoned and allowed back into the church. Historians argue as to whether his walk of penance was a stroke of genius or a complete humiliation. Witchcraft One woman who found herself charged with sorcery was sentenced to perform public penance. Eleanor Cobham, Duchess of Gloucester, was tried in 1441 for treasonable necromancy. It emerged that she had plotted with two others who had, it was said, under her direction, made a wax image of King Henry VI of England. Then the two co-conspirators had placed the image in front of the fire, so that as it melted, the life of the king would also waste away. Eleanor's husband, the Duke of Gloucester, was the king's heir, and would therefore become monarch on Henry's death, making Eleanor queen. On Monday the 13th of November 1441, Eleanor was made to walk from Temple Bar through Fleet Street in London, carrying a wax taper to offer it up at the high altar of St Paul's Cathedral. She was led by two knights and dressed in black. On the 15th, she walked from the Old Swan to the Christchurch near Aldgate and made her second offering. On the 17th, she had to walk from Queen Hythe to St Michael's Church, Cornhill, to complete her penance. During her atonement, she was barefoot and had scrolls fixed to her dress that told the story of her crime. It was the ultimate in medieval humiliation. She was made to divorce her husband and was imprisoned for life as there was no mandatory death penalty for witchcraft at that time. After being moved around from prison to prison, Eleanor died in 1449 at Beaumaris Castle in Wales.
stocks and pillories. The use of these stocks is mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments of the Bible when Paul and Silas, two disciples of Jesus, were, quote, put into prison and had their feet fastened in these stocks. By the Middle Ages, they were a familiar sight in most European communities. Stocks, pillories, and prangers were all made from large wooden boards with hinges with holes for the neck, hands, or feet to be inserted and held fast. The stocks had boards placed around the ankles and wrists, meaning that the accused would need to be in a sitting position as the feet were restrained, but the pillory had boards attached to a pole that were placed around the arms and neck, forcing the defendant to stand. Some frames were made to hold several people at one time, but it was usual for them to only hold one. The pranger was a German device similar to the pillory and the stocks. The word translates as something that pinches badly. The victim would have a pair of leg restraints that were fastened around the ankles, chained to their neck. The chain was deliberately made too short so that the accused was forced to stand in a very uncomfortable stooping position, similar to how I sit at my desk editing these videos. These forms of punishment were meant to cause physical discomfort and shame. King Edward I of England made it law during the 13th century that even pillory, or stretch neck as they were known, was strong enough to restrain an offender without damaging their bodies, as they were not meant as a form of torture. It was the custom that men who were sentenced to the pillory would have their head and beard shaved either partially or completely. Women victims would have their hair cut off, but also have their heads shaved in the most extreme cases. Flyers might be placed around the town naming the criminal and describing the offence committed. A sign could also be hung on a nearby post or around the neck of the wrongdoer as well. The crowds would gather around and rail abuse at the helpless victim, throwing anything that they could get their hands on. Rotten fruit and vegetables, dirt and excrement were all acceptable missiles. Sometimes dead animals such as rats or cats might be slung around the neck of the accused, and many people were maimed or killed from overzealous spectators throwing stones or bricks and the physical discomfort of being restrained in this way cannot be underestimated. More often than not, the defendant might only spend a few hours in the pillory, but it was much more uncomfortable than the stocks as the victim was bent over and unable to move their head. Although the stocks were less painful, people could be left there for days or even weeks, with continued exposure sometimes leading to death. In the early Middle Ages, some prisoners were mutilated while serving time in the pillory. It was a perfect opportunity for the constable to slit a nose, cut off the ears, or the upper lip whilst the prisoner was incapacitated. Alternatively, the tongue might be bored through, or the face might be branded with a red-hot iron. Serial re-offenders often had their ears nailed to the pillory, and then the only way to escape, once the sentence was over, was to either pull away and rip the ears loose, or have them cut off first. Flogging the Anglo-Saxons were fond of flogging prisoners with a whip. It was thought that as a form of corporal punishment, when a prisoner was beaten on his back, thighs and buttocks, although it was painful, it caused no significant harm. Dependent on the country in question, flogging was inflicted with a variety of tools such as the belt, metal whip, rope whip, tree branches, or bamboo canes. The goal of flagellation was as a public humiliation, although it could be used in a run-up to an execution. The English historian William of Malmesbury chronicled a story of King Ethelred the Unready when he was a child in the 8th century. Ethelred had angered his mother, and having no whip to flog him with, she picked up some candles and beat him senseless with those instead. The first rule of the parenting handbook, if you can't find a whip to flog them, beat them with the closest object you can find. Apparently, Ethelred dreaded candles so much that he never allowed one to be lit in his presence for the rest of his life. 
It is said that the knout was a Tatar or Turkish invention that was adopted by the Russians during the 15th century by Grand Duke Ivan III, although the origin of the word knout can be traced back to the Vikings. There were different types of Russian knout. One had a long wooden handle attached and was made from leather. About 16 inches or 40 centimeters long, it had a metal ring at the end. A second lash was attached to this ring, also ending in another ring to which a hard leather hook was added. This kind known as the Great Knout had a longer handle with a flatter leather strip of about 48 inches or 120 centimeters affixed. This ended in a ring with a strip of hide attached and a point that had been soaked in milk and dried in the sunshine to harden it. Another had many plaited thongs that were entwined with wire. They were all meant to lacerate the skin and cause as much pain as possible. Whips with small pieces of metal or bone at the tip were common. These devices could quite easily disfigure or kill the victim. The number of lashes given to the back of a prisoner as punishment would be predetermined depending on the sentence. Stripped to the waist and bound or chained to a tree or whipping post, 100 or 120 lashes could result in death, as pieces of flesh would be ripped from the body and the victim would die from blood loss. Use of whips like the Great Knout might result in the loss of an eye or even a fatality from just 20 blows, with the death often being attributed to the breaking of the spine. Some pillories, stocks, and whipping posts were often combined during the Middle Ages so that they could hold several reprobates at the same time. One of these devices stood in the marketplace near to the town hall at Wallingford in Berkshire, England. It held four prisoners, two in the stocks, one at the whipping post, and one in the pillory. Although the whipping post and pillory were removed in 1830, the stocks remained for several more years to house any drunkards that might need to be admonished. Having the right to hold a market was especially important for medieval communities. If a town or village neglected to have a pillory on view and ready for immediate use, then the local authorities could refuse their rights to a market. Manorial lords had the right of a pillory as well as ducking stools and gallows. In the 14th century, during the reign of Edward III, Thomas de Charworth was given the freedom to hunt game in the king's forests as well as having the privilege of a cucking stall, a pillory, and a gallows at Alfreton in Derbyshire. Between the 14th and 15th centuries, punishment tended to be less cruel, although there were still harsh penalties for the most serious of crimes. Rapists might be castrated, blinded or hanged, along with thieves, and there were still the toughest punishments for treachery, such as beheadings, burnings, and drawing and quartering. But as far as so-called petty crimes were concerned, there was now an effort to move towards a more lenient, but humiliating punishment, like the stocks and pillories, in the hope that a public shaming would help to control the drunkards, vagrants, and other reprobates. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Subscribe if you enjoy the content as we are releasing a new video every week. Cheers!